Mark chapter 12. Uh, for the last uh, oh several weeks now, we've been looking at some different um, uh, theological aspects of Christianity, and what we've been doing is looking at them through the lens of an acrostic, and that is uh, something that we, we use to help us remember certain things, and you build an acrostic out of a word, you remember that word, and then you, the, each letter uh, represents something in that aspect. And we've been doing this now for, for several weeks, and I encourage you, if you haven't been with us, to kind of go back and, and look at some of them. Uh, we've looked at the touch of God and how uh, it's a transforming touch, an ordaining touch, and, and so on. Then we looked at the power of prayer, and we looked at the power of God's uh, word, uh, and then this week, we're going to move into another uh, topic, and that is the topic of worship. Now, in the church today, I think there's a lot of, of confusion about what biblical worship really is. Um, I went to a conference years ago, and I heard this statement, and it was, uh, to some, music is worship. For others, worship is music. And for others, they worship music. And, and that was kind of the premise because I was at a worship conference and they were really trying to uh, equip us on, on using all different types of, uh, of styles of music uh, in our worship. But when you really boil worship down, worship is so much more than just a music service. Um, it, when, when I first started in music ministry, my, my pastor at the time, who was a gifted man, uh, he was really clear on that and he would try to present that to the church because they would say our time of worship and then time of preaching. And, and those are, uh, singing is not the only type of worship. Preaching is worship. And so is praying and, and all kinds of other things. And, and so there's a lot of confusion out there about worship and, and what it really is. And, and part of our problem is that, that we, we don't really emphasize worship the way we should. Uh, in the life of the church, it's, it's very common that you hear sermons on, uh, on God's Word and, and the need for Scripture in our lives, which, by the way, we need Scripture in our lives. So there's nothing wrong with sermons on that. It's not uncommon to hear sermons on prayer, which we need to be people of prayer. And so it's not uncommon to hear those messages, and we should. But we often don't hear messages on worship. Uh, and the reason why is because worship has become a very divisive issue but the reason why it's a divisive issue is because many times we just look at worship through the lens of music. And that's where the dividing part comes because there's all different kinds of styles and there's all different kinds of preferences when it comes to music. And so worship is kind of left out, of, if you will, of some key principles in the life of the church because they don't want to get into a, a squabble. They don't want to get into an argument. Well, this morning we're going to talk about worship. But, but I want you to know before we start, we're not going to be talking about music. Uh, because as we go through this, you're going to find that worship is far more than just song service. Worship is actually far more than praying. Worship is far more than just reading scripture. And you're going to see this as we go through. And, and the word that we're going to use as our acrostic is the word worthy. Uh, the word worthy. And, 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 and you be happy because originally... When I was writing this, my acrostic was worship, and I was going to use that, but that's a lot of points, okay? So I backed off and changed it to worthy for your benefit uh, so we can get through this this morning uh, without too much uh, 
too much extra time. We'll just say it like that. So if you have your Bibles open with me, the book of Mark chapter 12, I'm going to ask if you would stand with me for the reading of God's Word this morning. This is one of the verses we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about some others as well, but we're going to start with this one. So this is the verse we're going to read. Well, in Mark chapter 12, uh, Jesus has been teaching, and he's approached by a scribe, and the scribe is asking him um, a, a, a specific question, and the question that he asks is, which command is the most important, or which commandment is the most important commandment? Now, it was kind of a trick question because there's so many different commands and so many different commandments that he could have chose from. So it's kind of a trick question, but he answers them in verse 29. Listen to what he says. Jesus answered and said to him, The most important commandment is this. Listen, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other command greater than these. Let's pray. God, today I pray that you bless the reading of your word. And now as we begin to examine it this morning, I pray that I would decrease and that your spirit living in me would increase and that the words that would be shared today would be yours and not mine. And that, Father, they would find the place you have for them in the hearts and lives of your people. And, Father, we would be changed because we've been face-to-face with you through your living word this morning. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Okay, and so this morning as we start and we get into this concept of worship, the first point that I want you to understand is worship. Worship really is worth-ship. That's what the W stands for, worth Now, there are several words in Scripture that are translated into the English word for worship, and they all show something important in relation to worship. For example, the primary Hebrew word in the Old Testament is the word shaha, which means to bow down, to prostrate oneself, or to lay flat on the ground. And that's just what you see many times in the Old Testament as they lay prostrate before the Lord when he appears to them, like Um, In Exodus chapter 3, when the Lord appeared to them as an angel of the Lord and appeared and and they fell prostrate or they fell flat out on the ground in worship. Uh, And also in the vision of Isaiah chapter 6 verse 5. And so that's kind of the Old Testament, but it, it simply means to bow down or to prostrate or to lay oneself out flat before someone. Now in the New Testament, there are three Greek words that they use for worship in the New Testament. The most common um, is a word that means to kiss the hand, to fall on the knees, to fawn or to crouch, uh, to to pay homage, to revere or to show adoration. That word is used 59 times in the New Testament. Now there are two other words. One of them is used 21 times and it means to render religious service. Uh, And then the other one is used 10 times, and it means to revere or to hold in awe. But when you look at all of those, they they teach kind of a common idea, and that is to to show reverence or be in awe or show submission to one for who they are and because of who they are, okay? Now, all of those words are translated into an English word for worship, the word worship. You will say, if you see the word worship, in the scripture, it'll be from one of those four. If it's in the Old Testament, it'll be that Hebrew word. If it's in the New Testament, it's one of those three Greek words. But every one of them are translated worship. And we get the English word. Now, this is really important. Listen, we get the English word worship from an old English word. Okay? 
How many of you know what Old English is? How many of you can read Old English? I get tickled when I used to hear people say King James only, like you could only read King James. And I'm like, do you realize that the original King James was written in Old English and you can't read it? I mean, that's my favorite thing. It's like, you can't read it. So why are we doing that? Anyway, that's a whole other topic, but I digress. Anyway, so you've got this old, you've got this old English word, and the old English word is worth-ship. And it was used in a manner in, in the English language to, to, to put forth this idea of worth or to give worth to something, or in its simplest terms, worth something or worthiness, okay? And, and so the idea for worship is you take the reverence, the awe, all of that that you see in Scripture, and it culminates into what we call an English word worship, which is simply to give worth to someone or something. That's what worship is. Worship is not praying in itself. It's not preaching in itself. It's not studying the word in and of itself. It's not singing in and of itself. Worship, by definition, is ascribing worth to something. That's why worship is an activity of life that everyone does. See, there's not a person in this room that doesn't worship. We all worship something, and what we worship is the thing that we give the most worth to in our lives. There's a little book, and when I say little book, you can read it in about a day. It's about this thick by Louis Giglio. It's probably his shortest book, and it's called The Air I Breathe. And I, I want to I give you this quote. It's in the very first chapter, but he sums up worship like this in his book, The Air I Breathe. He, it breathe. he says, worship is simply about value. The simplest definition is this. Worship is our response to what we value most. Worship is about saying this person, this thing, this experience, this whatever is what matters most to me. It is the thing of highest value in my life. So in other words, worship is declaring what you value most, and as a result, worship fuels our actions, and it becomes the driving force of what we do. And, and so whatever it is we value the most, and, and for some people, um, it, it can be lots of different things. For some people, it, it, it can be a job, it can be a possession, uh, it, it can be anything. The question is, what is of supreme value in your life? Whatever that is, is what you worship, and you can tell by looking at your actions. Because what you worship drives your actions. It fuels the, you in what you're doing. Now listen to what Jesus' words are, and the reason why this is important is because in the case of Christianity, worship is only about one thing, and that's God. Christian worship is attributing worth to that which we value the most, and as a Christian, that which we value the most is God. And anything else that we value more than him is nothing more than idol worship. And this is, where, and this is why so many times our worship feels empty and vain. It feels uh, kind of drudgery or boring. Heaven forbid it be boring. But it's because we have other things on our priority list. You know, when I was a kid, I, I, if I had something planned on Sunday afternoon, a lot of times church went by real slow that day. Because where was my focus on that? And so it's long. Or now that I'm an adult and 
I like to smoke some things like meat and stuff like that. Sometimes it's like, I got to hurry up and get, yeah, I got something on the smoker. And so my focus and my attention is on that. Someone asked me last night, are you going to have a long sermon today or a short sermon today? And I was like, probably short. I'm, I'll be hungry tomorrow. So, you know, so it's whatever our driving force is, whatever we value the most in that moment, that's what we worship and it drives our actions. But as Christians, we are only to give that supreme worth to one thing, and that is God. And when we don't, our worship is lacking. And that's why so many times worship seems dry or it seems boring or when we're reading our scripture or when we're praying our prayers or when we're singing our songs, they don't seem to do anything because they're not really our focus. We're focused on so much other stuff or we've given credence to so much more as greater that in that moment our worship is vain and it's lacking. So the first thing we have to understand is true worship is about giving worth to something, and that which is of greatest priority in your life. And if that thing is anything other than God, then your worship is always going to be lacking. Okay? So that's what the W stands for. Now let's move on to the second aspect of it, and that is, oh, and by the way, you find out where I get that from in Mark chapter 12, verse 39, which is the first scripture I read, when Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment? And he said to love God with everything you have first. And then the second is like unto it, to love your neighbor as yourself. The first and greatest commandment is to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That is the basic fundamentals of worship, is to love God first in everything you do. Now, the O stands for our role. Our role. What is our role in worship? And again, another aspect of where we've gotten so far off in so many cases of worship that it's no wonder sometimes our worship is empty, and it's because we are out of sorts in a lot of ways in today's church uh, when we talk about the role of people in worship. Now, there are two primary mistakes that most people make when it comes to their role in worship. The first mistake that many make is they view their role more as a recipient instead of a participant. They are a recipient more than a participant. Have you ever heard someone say after they left church, well, I just didn't get anything out of worship today. I, I didn't know we were here for you. I, by the way, I'm just quoting an old preacher right there. Don't take it on me. That's what he used to say. He said people would sit there like this, bless me if you can. He's like, I'm not here to bless you. I'm here to obey God. And to glorify him in everything we say, everything we do, everything we sing, everything we preach, everything we pray is for God. It's not for you. We're not the recipients. And, and so we view it more as recipients instead of participants. But listen, if you come to worship for what you get out of it instead of what you give to it, you're making a major mistake in relation to true worship because worship isn't for you. Worship is for God. And you are not a recipient of worship. You are to be a participant in worship. I used to hear people go, oh man, I'm about to get my worship on. And then they'd leave and then they'd feel, oh, I feel so encouraged. I feel so all this, and there's nothing wrong sometimes with coming and, and feeling encouraged after you leave worship. But if you go into a worship service or any other aspect of worship with the idea of what you're getting instead of what you're giving, then it's backwards. Because the preacher, the music leader, 
Those who pray, the people taking up the offering, they're not here for you in sorts. We are here because God told us to be here, and we're to glorify and honor him. Now, when we glorify and honor him, does he use that to speak to you? Yes. But we're still ultimately here for him. In the Old Testament, there's a, a verse of scripture, and I'm not going to give you the reference because I, I mess it up, but I think it's in, in Hosea. Scripture tells us that God will not share his glory with another. So when we come in here to glorify him, he's not going to share that glory with you or with me. It's not for us. It's for him. So the first mistake we make is sometimes we come in and we see ourselves more as a recipient instead of a participant. The second mistake that's made in relation to our role in worship is some of us view ourselves more as a spectator instead of a participator. A spectator. It's not that we think we're, that everybody's here for us, but we're just here to kind of watch what everyone else does. We're a spectator. We, we, even looking at our design of our churches today, it has got spectator written all over it. You guys look at me, we have a stage, like an actor. You go to an old school theater, you go to a play. What do you sit in? You sit in basically the same thing you're sitting in now, and then there's a stage, and there's performers, and they're performing, and you're watching, right? And in a lot of ways, we walk into churches on Sunday, and the way it's designed lead us sometimes to feel like we are the observers while worship is playing out before your very eyes in front of us. And listen, I can tell you right now, there have been times in my ministry and in my life before I was standing up in a pulpit like this where there was worship taking place on this stage because the singers were worshiping God and because the preacher was worshiping God but I know more than worshiped anything because I was just watching and I wasn't tied in and I wasn't a participator in worship I was a spectator in worship and that's not what we're called to do but some of us come to worship to watch instead of engage and when we come here we're to engage. Some say, well, you know, I don't mind being engaged, but when I'm just not a singer. Says who? God created you. He gave you a voice. You say, well, I just don't sing in front of people. Who are you singing for? I, I don't sing for you. And I, and I can't help what you think about the way I sing or don't sing, but I don't do it for you. I'm here to worship him. He's who I answer to. He's who I'm here to glorify. He's who I'm here to show worship to. You say, well, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't, you know, um, I listen to people read their Bible, I don't need to follow along in scripture or whatever. Listen, we're not to be spectators, we're to be participators and we're to actively engage. And I'm telling you, if God is of supreme value, and we become a participator who's engaging in worship, you will never again leave worship empty. Let me tell you something. If you walk out of here and you say, I didn't get anything out of worship, that's on you. Because God's word's being preached. And God himself is being glorified in music. And we pray and ask God to move in our midst. If you walk out of here and it's not touched you, that's between you and God. That is no one's fault but yours. And when I was in college, someone told me one time, you, you don't need to go to one of those, and they said some denomination that I won't say, 
because you won't get anything out of, their, out of their music. And I said, if I don't get anything out of their music and it's glorifying God, that's on me. Because it's not about the style. If their music is glorifying God and I don't get anything out of it, then my focus is off. So we're not here to watch and we're not here to receive. We're here to engage and to give. So worship is about putting our, our supreme value on God and then we are to be actively engaged in giving him what he deserves in our role. And then that leads me to the third thing, which is the R, and that is the restrictions. There are some restrictions in worship. Now, now listen with me because I'm going to get through these pretty quick, but there are some restrictions in relation to worship, meaning there's some things that are prohibited in worship. Not everything that people do in a church service is worship. Have you ever been to a worship service where there were things that weren't worshipful? I have, and it's ugly. And it's sad, but it happens. There are, here, here's, I'll give you three of them. There are wrong forms of worship. That is things like ignorant worship. Things that do not come from God's word. That matter of fact, in a lot of cases, they contradict God's word, but they're presented as truth to the people. That's the wrong form. There's confusion in worship. Now, I, I'm nothing against some of my charismatic friends. But scripture specifically forbids confusion in worship. Specifically. So if you go to a worship service and you can't figure out what's going on, something's not right. That's a wrong form of worship. Lack of submission is a wrong form of worship. Coming in here in pride. Coming in here like I'm a recipient or a spectator without a participate, instead of being a participator. Those are all wrong forms of, of worship. Then there's wrong objects of worship. See if, see if any of these sound familiar. People worship money, and that does happen sometimes in the church. People worship the leaders. I've got friends that go to churches because of the person who preaches, not because it's the church in the town they live in or where they feel God's called them to serve or whatever, but they are following a religious leader. I've got friends I grew up with that drive from Wewoke, Oklahoma, all the way up to the other side of, uh, almost to Edmond, to go to a church because the pastor is someone that they grew up with. Now, I'm not saying that, but listen, they drive through a lot of towns with a lot of churches that could use them in their ministry. They drive right on by them because they follow a preacher instead of the church. There are some who worship idols in the church. I think I've told you this before, but I have a pastor I know that got fired because they had to move out all the pews in the church to clean something. I think they had a, an overflow of, of water or something, and they had to clean out all the pews and re-clean that. Well, when he brought the pews back in, which, number one, why did the pastor have to do that by himself? Again, another sermon another day. But he brought all those pews back in and didn't get them in the right order. And each of those pews had an in-memory tag. And he moved some of those people's seats. And they fired him. That sounds funny, but it's true. Sad. Because we got idols sometimes in our churches. There's, so there's wrong objects of worship. And then there's wrong preparation. It's where we come in and we still have bitterness in our hearts or we have pride or we lack repentance in our faith and we walk in. Those are all restrictions that hinder or um, are prohibited in our worship. We are never to worship 
with bitterness in our heart. As a matter of fact, Jesus says that if you are going to bring your offering and you still have unforgiveness in your heart towards someone, you lay your gift aside, you go reconcile that, and then come and give your gift. See, so there are right ways and wrong ways to worship. So there are restrictions. And then the T is the centerpiece. The centerpiece. If you want to change that word, you could put the focus. But I like the word centerpiece. Because centerpiece is something that most of us know what that is. A centerpiece is the focal point of something in the room. It, 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 you can see these in, in lots of ways, but really one of the main places you see this is at a wedding. What's the centerpiece of a wedding? Anybody know? Anybody have a guess? Say that again. Say it loud. Bride. Yeah. It's the bride. You ever seen anybody try to take the place of the bride at their wedding day? It's an ugly sight. Nobody likes to be upstaged. No bride likes to be upstaged. That's right. The bride is the centerpiece of the, of the wedding. But if you move to the reception, what's the centerpiece? It's... Good call. Yes. It is the cake, but in relation to people, it's no longer the bride. It's the couple. The focus is on them. If you go into a lot of people's homes, they put something in the center of their room, and that's the centerpiece of their front room. Anybody have any idea what most people's centerpiece is? The TV, that's right. You know, most people have their TV right in the middle of their room because that's the centerpiece. That's where the primary focus is going to be when you come into that room, okay? In relation to worship, we are to have a centerpiece as well, but our centerpiece is not supposed to be a TV, and it's not supposed to be a preacher, it's not supposed to be a music leader or anything like that. The centerpiece of our worship is God. That's where our focus is. In Christian worship, the centerpiece, our focus, is to be on God. This is what stands in the way of so many people having true worship of God in their lives is their focus when they come in is not on Him, but it's on something else. But true worship is centered on God, and if it is not, then it is not true worship. So we have the, the, that part, and then as we move in to conclude this morning, the H in worship stands for the hindrances. Not only are there some things that are prohibited, but there are some things that hinder us from having true worship. Now, in my experience, most believers that I know have a desire, or I'll say a lot, maybe not most, but a lot, have a desire to truly worship. When you talk to them, they talk about that. They want to have God at the center of their lives. They want to express that he is supreme value in their life, but they still feel like their worship is empty. Now, the cause of this is that there are sometimes hindrances to their worship, things that sneak in and cause us not to be able to worship the way we truly desire. Now, this is not an exhaustive list, but I want to give them some things if you want to write them down. Here are some things that will hinder you in your worship. Number one is self. You can get in your own way of worship. When you come in and you're putting your own needs, your own conveniences, your own times, or your own advantages, your own blessings, or everything about you before what you're giving to God, that can be a hindrance in your worship. You can get in your own way because pride or self is at the forefront. Worldliness can get in the way of your worship. Our culture influencing worship instead of vice versa. 
Like, like you, you go into a lot of churches today and it looks just like the world. Instead of the world looking like the church, the church has started to adapt to look like the world. And worldliness can affect worship. Uh, unreconciled relationships, mistreatment or lack of forgiveness to others. And again, I said that earlier, but that's found in Matthew chapter 5. That can get in the way of worship. Being critical can get in the way of worship. Being critical, that preacher just preaches too long. Or that preacher just doesn't preach long enough. Or that preacher's way too loud. Or he's just way too quiet. Or that song leader messes up way too much. He sings the wrong notes way too often. Piano player doesn't play fast enough. Or plays too fast. However you want to. The, the, the song service was boring. The, the preaching was boring. The praying was boring. I mean, and everything is critical. It, it's critical. Then there's laziness can affect your worship. No effort, again, and I've said this before, no effort on the part of the worshiper, no effort to participate, just desires to either watch or to be the focus of attention. Laziness can get in the way of your worship. Traditions can get in the way of your worship, too. Now, don't get me wrong, there are some traditions that I love, and that should never be changed. I'll give you one. The tradition of taking the Lord's Supper in reverence should never be changed. Because it's a reverent time. I'm talking about traditions that have changed and we've forgotten to get even to those traditions. Something had to change because it hadn't always been that way. I mean, moving away from hymnal use was a big quarrel and fight in the church. But we forget that before there were hymnals, to get to hymnals was a big quarrel and a fight because there hadn't always been hymnals. And, and when they did have hymnals, moving from shape notes to round notes caused a, a fight in the church. There's always, there's, so there's tradition, and sometimes we're so focused in on our tradition that we miss God. And, and you'll see that a lot of times. One of the reasons why the Jewish people missed Jesus as the Messiah was their traditions. It's not the only reason why, but it is a big reason why. They couldn't see Jesus because their traditions got in the way. Their traditions became bigger than the Messiah they were looking for. And so sometimes traditions can get in the way. Sometimes styles of worship can get in the way. Sometimes distractions get in the way. Sometimes distractions get in the way. Particularly if you're easily distracted. If I'm not preaching... And I'm not having to run the sound back there. And we have a visitor preacher. I try to sit up here. It's not just for their benefit or your benefit. It's for my benefit. Because if I sit back there, I see everything that's going on. And my adult ADD kicks in. And it's like, hmm. what person are we on? And I, and I forget. And I lose my place. And I, I just don't function that way. It's better if I sit up front. Okay? So if you're easily distracted... Move. Sit somewhere else. Get somewhere where you can focus. It's okay. Fatigue can get in the way of worship. Being too tired. I'm tired. I just need to get home and get back in my bed. Sometimes fatigue gets in the way. I had a gentleman in the church that I grew up in, and now he had an actual health reason, but I didn't know that at the time. But he sat, if you were standing where I'm standing in the pulpit, he sat right over here. 
And we'd always kind of mess with each other about how much time into the sermon it would take before he starts snoring. And, and come to find out, he couldn't stay awake. He, 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 was, he had a sleeping issue that caused him to be fatigued all the time. Now, instead of staying at home, he still came. And he still desired to be engaged as much as he could. But in a lot of ways, fatigue kept him from being truly engaged in worship. So fatigue can do it. And lastly, just to round it out and give you ten of them, impatience can cause you a distraction or a hindrance in worship. We focus too much on our time or too much. It's taken too long for God to move or when are you going to move or whatever, and we just get impatient. And then the last thing, and I'll close, and that's the why. And the why sums up worship. I mean, worship is giving worth. Our role is to be a participator, not a spectator. There are definite restrictions to our worship, okay? There is the centerpiece, which is God needs to be the center of our worship, whether or not it's in singing, preaching, praying, however else you want to say that. There's hindrances, there's things that get in the way of our worship, and then there's the why, and it is the essence of worship itself, and that is simply one word, yielding. Worship is yielding to God. If you look in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, and I'll read it to you real quick just so you can hear it. Some of you may even have it memorized. But in Romans chapter 12, Paul makes this statement. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, this is your true worship. True worship is a life of yielding to God. How does God take supreme value in your life when you live yielded to him? How does God become the centerpiece of all that you do? You're yielded to him. How do what keeps those restrictions out of our life being yielded to God what what keeps those hindrances away from us being yielded to God the Christian life is a life of yielding and that's why worship is far more than a song worship is far more than preaching worship is far more than reading your Bible worship is far more than just praying worship is a lifestyle of yielding to God in everything and you know what that's what Jesus said he requires for salvation Jesus said, if anyone wants to follow me, he must first deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. That's a life of yielding. Paul said in Galatians 2.20, says, for I am crucified with Christ, therefore I no longer live, but, the, but I live to, through Christ who lives in me. The life I now live, I live in the Son of God. That's Dwayne's version. You can read it on your own, Galatians 2.20. The life of a Christian is worship. We're called to a life of worship, not a moment of worship. And that only comes when we live a life that's yielded to him.